With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. And we are back. A crossover, open floor, collaboration. Chris Mannix, Chris Herring, Rohan Nadkarni. Still live from his basement. I can't help myself with that. I can't. Every time I see you pop up on the video screen in what looks like a college dorm, I have to comment on it. I'm sorry, man. I have to. I mean, you are looking like you're coming from a CIA black site. I just want to point that out. <laughs> it's just you in front of a black, possible blank I am. brown possible. wall. Like I don't. Um, oh man! I didn't realize you were still, on some kind of covert mission. Certain okay, areas. yeah. Still decorating. Still <laughs> decorating it, certain areas it. of this office, but. Uh... <laughs> you get the, the tank top oh, going on with the, with the with the crappy blue curtain behind you. It's like, what are we what are we doing? What are we doing here? You're a grown man. Come on, clean it up. Um, all right. So, Rowan, you led last week's podcast, and you hit some substantive, meaty topics. That's not what I do when I'm leading the show. I go for the lowest of low hanging fruit, the catnip. <laughs> For listeners, so on this episode, we are going to get into the MVP debate. We're going to talk about the state of the Lakers, and I'm going to ask the question, is Michael Jordan's legacy tainted by what appears to be the end of his decade-plus run as majority owner of the Charlotte Hornets? So let's start with the MVP vote, because, look, this has been a toxic debate for Weeks and weeks, months and months now. Years. You know, I wrote about this. Well, no, I mean, it's more toxic now than it's ever yeah. been before. And I wrote about this on Tuesday on SI.com in kind of the aftermath of Doc Rivers kind of being asked about it before Monday night's game and sort of lamenting how if you support one guy, you then have to seemingly hate the others, right? And we're talking about what is effectively a three-player race at this point between Nikola Jokic, the two-time reigning MVP, Joel Embiid, the two-time reigning runner-up, and Giannis Tentacumpo has got a couple of MVPs on his mantle uh, as well. So, you know, we'll get into the toxicity of it and why that's the case in a minute. But um, is your vote, fellas, and we'll start with you, Herring, real or mythical? Is your vote still up for grabs as we enter the final two and a half weeks of the regular season? Well, unless uh, I get a notification soon that I don't have a vote, I did have one last year. Uh, a real one, so I'm expecting to to be asked to do it again. Um, it's still up for grabs, and I, I'll say that as someone that 
as of about a month, maybe a little bit less than a month and a half ago, um, I I think I even wrote that it was looking like this was going to be a third straight MVP for Jokic. And um, obviously when you talk about the run that just as of last night, the Sixers lost for the first time in nine games. Um, and at the same time that the Nuggets, I think, have lost uh, six out of eight and you know, took the last couple minutes to win those last, you know, those two that they actually did get, one of which was against the Pistons. Uh, so Jokic has still performed well statistically in those games. Um, but just the nature of why I think we were seeing the race shake out the way it was, was like the Nuggets were dominating. Jokic has been dominant and was dominating at maybe a higher level than he had the last couple of years. Uh, and, you know, the Sixers were good. Uh, even though Embiid was dominant too. And so it wasn't stunning to me that, you know, that once we saw things come together the way they had, that Jokic kind of had built up a lead, so to speak. Um, it's tightened just because the, the the Sixers have played much better and the Nuggets have played much worse. It's kind of what always happens. It kind of feels like more of a traditional race, so to speak, because of the fact that the, you know, the teams are playing the way they're playing. Um, and I think it's getting more attention. Add into that now what you're talking about, about the toxicity of it. And I don't think the race is tightening because of that, but it has kind of forced people who might not have even really taken notice of what was happening with the MVP race to look at it and say, hmm, like why was Jokic the favorite? And by that, I mean fans, by the way. But why was Jokic such a favorite when Embiid was putting up these numbers? And then add to that the fact that, you know, that the Sixers went on a nice run and the Nuggets had a slide. So it's it's been interesting, frustrating. I think it's it's kind of interesting timing, too, for all of it to happen at the same time. But in a nutshell, despite the toxicity, I'm excited that there's a race to be had as opposed to it being kind of a runaway the way it, it, it started to feel at one point last year. And even the year before that, when there are a lot of injuries, so this is what we should want: is for the last few weeks to matter beyond teams tanking to try to get a certain opponent or teams tanking to get a draft pick. Like it's it's a year full of parity, and I think that the MVP race is not parity because it's just two or three guys. But um, I'm excited that we've got a tight enough race to actually talk about that matters. Yeah, I I don't have a vote. I guess it's because I'm not named Chris. I don't know what's going on there. I'll have to reach out. <laughs> Uh, to someone at the NBA, but I'll say that my vote's definitely up for grabs. I think, like a lot of people, I have a front runner. Um, I think, and I think my front runner has changed throughout the course of the season. Something that bothers me so much about the discourse around this award, and I think where it really kicked it off this year, was you know ESPN does that straw poll of reporters uh, for MVP, and Jokic was the runaway leader the last time they did the straw poll, which was a bit. It's been a couple months now. And I think there was a lot of backlash. Why is Jokic so far out in front? Why is he a near unanimous? And that kind of kicked off a whole new round of arguments. And I think those same people who had Jokic, number one, run away at that point, I bet a lot of people have changed their minds. And that's okay. That's how the race should go. The more evidence you get, the more data points you collect, the more you watch, the better information you have and the better decision you make. And I think there was a point where Jokic was my front runner. I don't think that's the case anymore. And I, I just think that we need to like make it okay to change your mind about the MVP over the course of a season. For, for some reason, it feels like if you champion a guy, like last year, I, I wrote a big story. I mean, Mannix, you wrote an Embiid story. I wrote a Jokic story. I think we both made good arguments. And, 
you know, because I listed why I think Jokic should win and compared him to Embiid in certain categories, it's like you get put into a camp and it's like, you don't think Embiid's good at this. And it's like, I'm not insulting a player by saying he's the second or third best player in the NBA. You know what I mean? Not to mention, we also do our top 100 rankings where we put Giannis near the top. You know, we put Embiid over certain people. So uh, I, I, my vote's definitely up for grabs. I'm sure I'll write um, an awards column toward the end of the season. And that will be my final decision by then. But I think it's, we need to make it normal to change your mind about the MVP over the course of a season. Well, look, minds have changed over the last mm-hmm. you know three months. If you go back to that first ESPN straw poll, Jason Tatum was the leader on that straw poll. Uh, a couple of months later, in mid-February, it was Nikola Jokic. And there are reasons for that. I mean, Nikola Jokic at that point was posting ridiculous numbers, averaging close to a triple-double, which he still is, uh, leading in all the major advanced statistics categories. And Denver was the top team in the Western Conference by a considerable amount. Those are all... Pretty elemental criteria for uh, positioning a guy as the front runner for MVP, but things have changed in the last month. That's why my vote right now is completely up for grabs. I mean, in the last month, I don't think Jokic has taken a step back, but to Chris's point, the Nuggets have. I mean, they lost four straight in mid-March. As we record this, they've lost five of their last seven. They still have a pretty strong grip on the top seed in the West, but you know, this is a tough time at least for the MVP vote for for Jokic to have his team uh, be struggling because while this team struggles, his defensive deficiencies get highlighted. And that's always been the anti-Jokic argument that as marvelous as he is offensively, defensively sucks, especially compared to you know Joel Embiid and Giannis Tentacumpo. So it's certainly opened the door. And, and while Jokic and the Nuggets have struggled, you've seen Embiid go off for, what, 10 straight games of 30-plus points, including 37 on Monday. Giannis has played great. The Bucks had a 15-game winning streak since that last straw poll was put out. So, yeah, I, I think it has um, tightened considerably. And if the vote was taken today with that straw poll, uh, I think you'd see some very different results. And, like, for me, I, you know, the last two and a half weeks are going to be impactful here. Like, if the Nuggets take off in the last two and a half weeks and Jokic plays great, they win the Western Conference by like seven games instead of the three and a half they're up by right now, that's going to register for me. If Embiid continues to play well and the Sixers continue to win, something about those 10 games that you know Embiid has been on a tear, eight of them Philadelphia has won. So that means something. And the Sixers right now I think are percentage points behind Boston for that number two seed. Uh, in the East. Same thing with Giannis. I mean, look, I think you have to give Giannis credit for not just playing outstanding, but having the Bucks with the best record in the NBA, despite the fact that Chris Middleton has played 27 games. Like, everybody else has a pretty great co-star or two, whether it's James Harden and Tyrese Maxey in Philadelphia. You've got, you know, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon in Philadelphia. I mean, look, Giannis isn't surrounded by stumble bums, but most of the best attributes <laughs> of his bums. best teammates, well, most of the best attributes of his best teammates are defense, right? Like, Brooke Lopez right now is the front runner for Defensive Player of the Year. Um, Drew Holiday, good playmaker, all-star, but I think known as much for what he does defensively as what he does offensively. Giannis' is number two has been out for more than half the season, and that, to me, is is something, Herring, that that should not be overlooked. I just can I just say something real quick, by the way, while we're on the topic yeah. of these three guys. So the Nuggets, 
are playing the Bucks and Sixers back to back next week. It should be a huge deal for the NBA. I, we don't need to get into this whole thing, but the NBA's like refusal to counter program against the NCAA tournament to me is embarrassing. The Nuggets and Bucks are playing on March 25th, which is a Saturday. It should be an ABC primetime game. Instead, it's being shoved onto NBA TV. And it just bothers me that they are willing to be subservient to the NCAA tournament. It's like, this is ridiculous. Stop doing this. I don't care how popular the tournament is. That game deserves to be like sent to as big of an audience as possible. Or don't schedule that game for <laughs> yeah. you know, the NCAA tournament. I think it's in March every single year. I, I think <laughs> yeah. we, we know when that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and Michael Malone complained about it um, the first time as far as when – I'm pretty sure when it was going to be Giannis, yeah, yeah, Giannis and uh, Jokic matching up against each other. The last four MVPs have gone to those two guys, and you know they're playing it um, in a back-to-back scenario, and it just it didn't make sense. And uh, I thought it was wise to call out. I think Rohan is right on that point too. Um, Yeah, every everything Chris said is is accurate from the standpoint of why this is not an open shut case. First of all, uh, you have three guys that are essentially, I guess two guys averaging 30 plus for teams that are still in the hunt for a top seed, uh, or at least kind of sniffing around that area. Like you said, one of whom has missed his co-star for the vast majority of the season. And even when he had him for the first part of that, the first chunk of those games was not good. He was not healthy and you could kind of tell it. Um, and Embiid was playing without uh, Maxi for, what was it, a month and a half? Without Harden for a month. Harden probably should have been an all-star. He wasn't there for a month. Uh, so even with regards to where Philly is standings-wise, uh, you know, if he'd had his full complement of guys, you could make the argument that they would have been higher up in the standings. Embiid kept them afloat um, at a time where they very easily could have, um, you know, been further down in the standings. What I think for me... With Jokic, because Chris made this point as well, Jokic has played fine. It's it's not like he's been terrible through this rough stretch for Denver. Uh, but what I will say is, one, it, it it seems to validate. I think there's no way it couldn't validate the idea that, wow, this defense is really bad and that Jokic doesn't look good in it when they are the worst defense in the league over those seven, eight games that they've struggled. Uh, but also because they've been in a number of close games throughout that time, too, that they've lost – one of the things that sometimes gets criticized with Jokic is that, okay, he's only averaging 25 points, 26 points, whatever, in the midst of averaging these triple doubles while other guys are going out and getting 35 and 40 uh, every other night. That doesn't bother me until I start to watch some of these close games and some of these close losses to bad teams where Jokic finishes with fewer shots than I think he could take in those games. He is historically efficient. Um so when you've got games where Jamal Murray is just shooting really, really, really poorly, uh, or other guys, Bruce Brown, for instance, has been really poor um, since having a great first half uh, of the season, it, it makes me feel like Jokic could maybe be a little bit more aggressive than he's been. And uh, so that's something that even as he puts up great statistics in those games and plays very well from a traditional standpoint, I'd like to see him maybe take on more of like the sort of stuff that you think of with an MVP. He's wired to be unselfish, but there are times I wish he'd be more selfish. And it's something that's made me think about that a little bit more just as the race tightens and as we get to the end of the season. He pump fakes out of way too many threes. He's got him. He needs to be a more willing shooter. I could not agree with you more, Chris. 
And that's uh, Rowan's next piece for Nuggets.com <laughs> coming out. <laughs> what, um, what is it like? I can't talk about NBA players now without writing you, for you, that team. Nuggets and heat. Nuggets and heat. Nuggets and heat. Okay, Mister. I had Jason Tatum as my MVP. Okay, yeah. He was the everybody had Jason Tatum as everybody, MVP in yeah. December. All right, all right. I, I, I did, and that first straw pull too. Yeah, yeah. It was easy. Um. All right. Writing for uh, Brad Stevens' newsletter. Okay. Yeah, I think think people in Boston like me. Are you kidding me? I get <laughs> clobbered out there on a regular basis. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Let's talk about the Lakers. Uh, Last week, I uh, made the bold proclamation that the Lakers (laughs) were going to win the Western Conference. They then went out and laid an egg against Houston and (laughs) lost at the buzzer to Dallas. Great prediction by me. Um, They did rebound to beat the... uh, vaunted Orlando Magic and have a pretty good stretch of games coming up where we're going to figure out exactly who they are as they still wait for LeBron James uh, to come back. So uh, with what we know about the Lake, uh, actually, before I get into like the contender pretender stuff, (laughs) look, Anthony Davis needed to play in that Houston game. I know Mm -hmm. other people have written Mm -hmm. it. Other people have talked about it. I know what the Lakers are doing. Like Anthony Davis, like he's basically a glass menagerie out there. Like, you know, he one bump and he's going to fall apart. And I know the Lakers are very leery of that, but if Anthony Davis plays in that game against Houston, the Lakers win. It's as simple as that. The Rockets, I know, they had a moment last week where they beat Boston, they beat LA, but if Anthony Davis plays, they win. And, you know, when they went out in that game, my first thought was, man, you know, this feels like the type of game that could, they'll be looking back on saying, man, we're like the seventh seed. If we had a win, we'd be six and out of the play-in. Like, that's a game they they will probably live to regret. So they, and they also probably regret the Dallas game where they melted down, down the stretch with their free throws uh, as well. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Where the Lakers are right now, do you look at them, Rohan, as contenders or pretenders in the Western conference? I just don't know in what other world this team would be considered a contender when they're in 11th place 
in the conference. They're not even in the plan if, if as of today. Their best player now has had years of being injured um, during critical portions of the season and not able to play. Um, and this foot injury, we don't even really know what it is, but it's serious enough to keep him out of all these important games. Their second best player, to your point, as important and dire as these, season, as these games are, is not in a position to play back-to-backs. Um, I've been – I'll hold my hand up and say I didn't think the trade that they made at the deadline would move the needle as much as it did for them. I think those players have been much better fits than I thought they would. The defense has been better than I thought it would. Even without LeBron in this stretch since the Mavericks game, they're 6-5. and five. That's pretty good considering how quickly the team has historically fallen apart without him during his years in Los Angeles. But I know that there's some concern about the top of this conference. You know, could they beat the Kings? Could they beat the Nuggets? Uh, the Suns have their own injury issues. I just think when push comes to sub, we've seen now for a couple years in a row, I don't know that I can count on the health of LeBron and Anthony Davis. I still think in a playoff series, they're going to have issues defensively, particularly in the backcourt. Um, and I, I just, I I understand the pull to call them a contender. I definitely think a first-round match between them and the Kings, for example, would be fascinating to watch. I don't know who I would pick, but the idea that they could last four rounds, I, I just don't see it happening. I, I So I, I have to go pretender just there's an overwhelming amount of evidence other than like your, your argument for contender is like they have LeBron, which is a really good argument, but I, I'm just not seeing it. Oh, it's more than just they have LeBron. They have LeBron in a conference that doesn't have a 2016 to 2020 Warriors. Sure. They, they have LeBron and AD in a conference where if you were picking a team with top two players, you'd probably still pick them if they were both healthy going into the postseason. So, you know, there are a lot of reasons. And you mentioned where they stand in in the standings right now. And yeah, they're in 11th place, but they're one game back in the loss column of sixth. So, like, this right. is the kind of thing that by the time people listen to this podcast, the Lakers could be in, you know, seventh in that moment. But, uh, Herring, what's your take on a contender, pretender for the Lakers? I mean, it's it's not the easiest call, Um I, I I think I would lean closer to contender just because what? Here's my reason though. Like, would it stun? Can we people just say, if, by the way, Ro, Rohan is like, if we did Heat contender pretender, he'd say Heat or contender. Just to be no, clear I wouldn't. I literally wrote a story about the Heat being pretenders, Mannix. I'll I'll send you the link. Don't mm-hmm. worry, you must have missed that one. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not coming down decidedly like, oh, they're contenders, no question. But the thing is, with how well they performed, and and by that I don't necessarily mean wins losses because we're talking already about the fact that. Um, they they lose games because you know Anthony Davis sits out. So the the whole of the team is kind of what I'm focused on. And if they're healthy enough by the time that LeBron gets back, um, they've already since the trade deadline. I was looking at this tweet from Trevor Lane from Lakers Nation. Uh, ninth in net rating, first in defensive efficiency, uh, ninth in pace, uh, number one in free throws attempted. Number one, an opponent's free throws attempted, meaning that they've limited those. Uh, it's a te- they've managed to do this without LeBron, and for the most part, without LeBron. And so, if you add him to that, and it clicks, and it—I mean, we only what did we get one game of that 
with LeBron playing with the new guys on this team, I think we got one game of it. So we didn't see enough to know. Do I think it's really likely? No. But is it more likely that they could really beat a good team? Uh, and in the first round, they could maybe take down the Kings in the first round and then be competitive in the second round, which at that point, if you're able to do that, if you're able to get to the conference semis and and get to a 6-7 game series, by definition, aren't you kind of a contender at least to win the conference? Like I, I don't think it's that far-fetched. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's an automatic thing for them. There's questions, certainly. I, I wonder, too, as we sit and talk about them and the Kings, the Kings might also blow the doors off them just because of how much offense they have and how fast they are. Um, they have a lot of – they have literally the most cohesion in the league compared to the Lakers that might have the least considering them and, and maybe the Suns, but I would say the Lakers because they had a package trade that you know uh, swapped in and out three or four people. So I, I, I think that the potential is there. It's LeBron, so I'm not willing to just say that they're not contenders uh, based on the profile that they've put together without him, and then they're going to add him to it as well. Yeah, I'm going to stick with my original prediction that the Lakers win the West. I'm not backing down one bit from that uh the Mavericks game bothered me more than the Rockets game like the Rockets game you you can kind of put your finger to and say you didn't have AD that's why you lost the Mavericks game they did have AD he didn't play great they you know bricked free throws down the stretch you gotta beat Dallas at home you gotta um it was also Max Kleber beat you the third or fourth time this year where Anthony Davis I credit to him but he's had to after a loss been like that was my fault like that's it, like yeah, it, he didn't it, play well. Not a great season for him. He didn't play well in that one. But I, I'm still buying the Lakers. Aaron, you mentioned some of the statistics. They're jumping up in a lot of key categories. But th- look, when we record this next week, I don't know what my opinion is going to be because you look at the schedule <laughs> and you've got a game on Wednesday against the Durantless Suns that should be winnable at home, even though Phoenix is is still pretty good without Kevin Durant. Uh, Then you play Oklahoma City, which is motivated solely by getting Shea Gilgis-Alexander on the All-NBA team, and and that's about it. You got them at home. Then you've got back-to-back Patrick Beverly revenge tour games against the Bulls. So you've you've got winnable games. Like, they should come out of this next four-game stretch with three wins. Like, they should beat the Bulls a couple of times. They should beat Oklahoma City at home. Maybe you beat... Phoenix in a toss-up type of game. But to me, this next stretch is going to be really telling about the state of the Lakers. I think even if they come out 500, that's not good enough uh, over these next four games. But if they win three of the next four, chances are when we record this next week, they're sitting in the seventh seed at worst at that point because they'll have a win over the Thunder. They'll you know gain some ground on maybe Utah. Like I just, I'm still buying into the Lakers despite a debacle of a week last week where they lost some some very winnable games. That's and look, it all clearly is contingent on LeBron being healthy, but I think they still have enough to get into the play-in. And if LeBron is playing in the play-in, I'm going to buy them all day long. That's kind of where I. But stand. if they get the one, seat, if they have to play the Nuggets, and then if, I still think they can the beat nuggets, the Nuggets. Like they, but the the fact that. You and a lot of other people would think that they can, and if that's the case, the 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 discourse around MVP 
and how that turns out. Oh, oh my would, goodness. Oh, the 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 <laughs> negative or anti Jokic contingent would be uh loud. And probably right. Like, look, that's a different conversation, but you know, if yeah. Jokic flames out early in the playoffs, and not just first round, he flames out in the second round, you know, the critics of him will have a a valid argument to make. That's that's a conversation we'll get into uh, can later we, on. Uh, can we all what, agree what, that the, what do you want the, the funniest outcome would be Embiid winning the MVP and losing in the second round? Yes, because you know, Embiid supporters conveniently never mention the fact <laughs> yes. that Jokic has been to a conference finals and Embiid hasn't. And Correct. Yeah. Embiid and the Sixers lost to the vaunted Atlanta Hawks a couple of years ago um, in the conference semifinals. <laughs> what do you mean? Um, the Hawks have right. been great since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're tearing it up. Tearing it up. A lot of stability yeah. that front office do and the, and the coaching bench. Yeah. Um, John Morant. <laughs> John Morant, he is back uh, most likely, it seems, on Wednesday uh, in the Grizzlies game against Houston, it will have been nine games that John Morant, uh, well, he will have been suspended for the full eight games. It'll be nine games that he will have missed uh, since the incident in the Denver nightclub where he flashed a gun. Eight game suspension by the NBA. He was available on Monday, did not play. There needed to be some kind of ramp up for Morant before he gets out there. Um, the Grizzlies have had some problems since then. Uh, Brandon Clark. Done for the season, Achilles tear. Dylan Brooks, still a great defensive player, but as volatile perhaps as he's ever been. So Herring, with Morant scheduled to return on Wednesday and the Grizzlies still in that second place-ish position uh, battling Sacramento, is this season still salvageable in Memphis? Uh, yeah. I, 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 but I, I mean, obviously, you can tell by the tone in which I answered that how I feel. Um, Stephen Adams like becomes massive for them, and it it doesn't sound like they're expecting him back until maybe right before the season's over, or you know, right at the start of the playoffs. Um, it, it, it's a team that offensive rebounding matters a whole lot to, and and also that we've thought of you know the Grizzlies historically being like this grit and grind franchise obviously jaw can jump over buildings and stuff like that but they they are still a physical annoying pest of a team between jaron jackson steven adams uh even you know dylan brooks certainly um has that reputation he also has a reputation for other things but i just don't see them getting very far i, I think brandon clark and steven adams being out becomes too big of a problem uh we know that they've won a ton of games you know 20 and 5 or whatever they were last year without jaw uh, Tyus Jones is going to bring it every night and 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 be a you know the best backup in the league uh, and fill in for job, but it's I I just don't see it if they don't have the the physicality that they've had. I mean I think that that frankly between the physicality and also their their athleticism is part of why even when Jog went down last year against the Warriors that they were able to win that massive blowout game and I think maybe even take one other game from the Warriors. Uh, I just don't see it if Steven Adams isn't right or if he's not healthy. Uh, so I, I, I'm willing to give them a slight chance, but to me it just feels like it was too uneven of a season. I think at one point they were actually my favorite to come out of the West, but it feels like too much has happened since then. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that they're interesting. I hope that they're compelling. I hope that Ja is, is, is still his normal self as far as his ability, uh, but it just kind of feels like there's been too much swirling above this team on top of the fact that 
as all this was happening, Brandon Clark is out for the season and Steven Adams isn't right. Yeah, I, I will say I've been impressed. They've won six of their last seven, I believe, um, which is pretty good. All of those, obviously, without Morant. Uh, they've typically played well without him. My my bigger concern with them, I think, is, you know, we talked about this after the trade deadline. I just don't know that they did enough to upgrade their roster. Uh, the Brady Clark injury hurts a lot. He was really, really good for them in the playoffs last year. Like, he came in and really changed some of those playoff games against both uh, the Wolves and the Warriors. But I just look at their rotation, like, are we going to get, all like, serious Aldama minutes in the playoffs? Are we going to get serious Conchar minutes? In the playoffs, David Roddy, just going through their rotation. I mean, I think they have a top five when Adams is healthy. That's as good as kind of any top five in the league. They have a really good starting lineup. Uh, Dylan Brooks, as annoying as he is, I'm enjoying the Dylan Brooks experience overall. I think we need more unsanitized villains like him in the league. But I just don't think they have enough shooting. And when they lose a guy like Kyle Anderson, like they did in the offseason, they traded away D'Anthony Melton. Like who are who are their? You're gonna need a seventh guy at least in the playoffs. They have Tyus Jones. Like, is it gonna be Luke Kennard? Like, who who's gonna play in the the front court? You know, Xavier Tillman. I think his minutes go up and down in the playoffs. We know Jaron Jackson Jr. is gonna be in foul trouble. So, like, are you counting on Aldama to to pick up major minutes in a round three playoff game? I I just don't see it happening. So, to me, my my questions really come down to the youth of their rotation and the fact that. Their shooting is is uh, just I don't think good enough when the game slows down. I think Luke Kennard's mm-hmm. been good for them. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's playing what twenty twenty five minutes a game, yeah. shooting like forty eight percent from three. So he, he's kind of been as advertised. He's just not the kind of two way player that they were looking to get. Whether it was OG Ananobi, uh, uh, Bridges in Brooklyn, Mikael Bridges in Brooklyn, like he he just is what he is. He can space the floor and give you spot minutes. Um, I actually think they are the most vulnerable of the top three seeds to lose early. Um, Sacramento, they don't defend anybody, but they have great continuity, great chemistry. They've either played the most games together with their lineup or top five in the NBA in that category. Um, Denver, if they're fully healthy, I think they'll be fine the next couple of weeks. I mean, that's the team I'd want to play if I was a 6-7-8 seed. Yeah, you've got to contend with job, but if Steven Adams continues to be out, and look, they're not saying Steven Adams is definitely going to be back in a few weeks. They're basically saying they're going to reevaluate him in a few weeks, so that's not encouraging. And Clark, Rowan, to your point, he was invaluable to them in the Mm -hmm. playoffs, a, a strong role player last year. I mean, you got to still contend with Morant and deal with Dylan Brooks' defense, and yeah, they've been great against the Warriors this year, but I'd want to play them in the first round because, yeah, look, they're a great defensive team overall, but they still don't defend the three-point line incredibly well, and their half-court offense is is average, league average uh, at this point. So I just, uh, I'd want to play them in the first round, and we still don't know what Morant's going to be like. Like, I... I I tend to believe he's going to be fine when he comes back. He's going to be the John Morant that we've seen all season long. If you watch the game on Monday, he was just bathed in adoration when he walked onto the floor by the Memphis crowd. He's going to be re-embraced by everyone there. So I think it's going to be fine individually as far as Morant goes. But they've just suffered too many losses. It's been too combustible a season for me to believe in them. I, I Look, 
I mean, we could say this about the bottom of the Western Conference with anybody, but if it's Warriors, uh, Clippers, Lakers, Mavericks, the teams that are in that mix for that 6-7-8 seed right now, if I was them, I'd want to play Memphis in the first round. A tough place to play in Memphis. FedEx Forum is, is, is bumping in the playoffs, that's for sure. But um, I don't, I, I'd, I'd want to play that team probably more than I'd want to play Denver and more than I want to play Sacramento. I'll echo that. So. I do. Th- I, I do think that they are going to be vulnerable in the playoffs, and it's going to be fascinating to, to watch that play out. I, I really hope we get a Warriors Grizzlies first round matchup. I'm, I'm pulling hard for that. Adam well, Adam well, Silver. Look, the Warriors. If, if the league is rigged, need to have, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Warriors need to have Wiggins back for that. Yeah. Um, we have no idea what's going on with him, but if they don't have Wiggins back, they'll lose. Just like they've lost what every game against Memphis this season, they'll they'll lose. That series, too, without Andrew Wiggins. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Last thing I want to talk about. uh, It was reported by ESPN this week that Michael Jordan is, uh, it seems like, moving towards selling his majority stake in the Charlotte Hornets. It seems like Jordan will stay on as a majority owner, but he will transfer what the majority of his shares, his stake in the team to two of the minority owners uh, of the Hornets. Uh, Jordan bought the team from Bob Johnson back in 2010 for like, the price of a hot dog, comparatively speaking, like $175 <laughs> million. That team's probably going to have a valuation of in the neighborhood of $3 billion. Most likely, no way. That's really? NBA team. Ah, two and a half, three billion. Oh yeah, my god! It'll be up For there. the Charlotte Hornets. Um, oh my goodness! It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, the Phoenix Suns. I know they're in Phoenix, and that's a nice destination. But what was their valuation? Four billion. Like, come on! Like, the, oh my the, goodness! The Hornets will get a, a three billion valuation. Um, under Jordan's leadership, the Hornets have done nothing. Like, they've had what two or three first round. Uh, appearances. They've drafted poorly. They've got a reputation for being really cheap. Uh, they're 
I mean, their practice facility is in their arena. Like, it's one of the worst, if not the worst, practice facilities in the entire NBA right now. Um, Herring, does this, is Michael Jordan's stewardship, ownership of the Hornets, does that diminish him at all? Like, he's always going to be, you know, Michael Jordan, greatest player of all time, arguably. But it, it has been a abject failure in Charlotte. If this is the end of the road for Jordan, it has been a failure. And without knowing the outcome of the draft lottery, it's not like the future is very bright. Like, LaMelo Ball is there, you know, said recently he's happy in Charlotte. He's probably just happy to get that next contract in Charlotte. Then we'll see what happens. But they're bad. And I, outside of uh, hitting the lottery and getting Victor Wembanyama, I don't see a pathway to them getting better anytime soon. I I just can't really – to me, they're two relatively separate things um, in the same way that like Magic Johnson not being a model executive and you take that however you want. I mean, he actually is a model executive but not from an NBA standpoint. I mean, you know, he's a great businessman I think. Um, not a very great late night talk show host. Um, <laughs> I, I I just think that they're two, two, two both T O O and T W O separate things for me. Uh, I, I I do think, and the most I marry those things in my mind is the idea of like, yo, Michael would hate playing for this team, and so maybe there is something to be said for that of like, how can't you manage it better? But also, we've watched people be coaching flameouts. We've watched Phil Jackson be an executive flameout. Uh, I already mentioned Magic Johnson. Uh, most people don't have a second act as, as far as this. I mean, Pat Riley has been obviously wildly successful. Um, but most most people really aren't good at, at, at two aspects of the same thing, if, if you could really call it that. Uh, the frustrations that I would have if I'm a fan is that, like you said, the team has been cheap. I, I think we all think of Michael Jordan as just being this uber wealthy owner because, like, you know, there are very few athletes that have ever touched that stratosphere of money. Mm-hmm. The reality is there's a reason that very few athletes have touched the stratosphere of money. They don't have it to buy a team. So it's like the reality for why he might be cheap or why the team might operate in a cheap fashion relative to everybody else is that he's not Steve Ballmer. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, it's different. Yeah, but that that's of- always Herring, that's always the the high end of it, right? Steve Ballmer's richer than everybody. But right. like Michael Jordan's net worth is two point one billion dollars, according to Forbes. Um he's got a seemingly endless revenue stream with the Jordan brand. Um he's got he's got the cash. Like you, you I, I don't believe that he's less wealthy than Tillman Fertitta in Houston. I don't believe he's That's less not a good example to use, though. Than, <laughs> maybe. All right, but how about this? I don't believe he's less wealthy than Wick Grosbeck in Boston. Like, I, I just don't believe it. Okay. I, I think yeah, he's, yeah, got, yeah. he's got the cash. And for whatever yeah. reason, he refused to spend it. Not just on payroll, which is one thing. Like, Coaching. you don't have to just go out there and bloat your payroll because that mm-hmm. doesn't always work. But I mentioned the facilities, which are awful like you you guys have been down to charlotte and gone to their arena and walked onto their practice floor which is small i've never been in their weight room but i read about it being small as well from what i read like there's plans to do to build a new practice facility in the future somewhere in charlotte but in the 10 plus years jordan has owned this team they have not broken ground on that 
uh, up until this point. And that matters. And so too doesn't matters that Jordan's never really hired a expensive, high-profile head coach. It's been like right. <laughs> Steve Clifford 17 times and... Right. You know, you've you've had James Borrego in there again. Don't have to splurge on coaches. I like if James Borrego, right by the way. I really I like, like James Borrego a lot. Yeah. I I yeah. thought he got a raw deal at the end in, in Charlotte, but they didn't spend on head coach. When you talk to people down there, they do have one of the thinner front offices in terms of scouting department and personnel. That they have not invested in a lot of assets when it comes to the front office and that was just kind of well known around the league at this point. That's on Jordan. Like every team wants to have a bunch of people that work there. Jordan elected not to spend. Now he's done some good things. I mean, Adam Silver would be quick to tell you that, you know what? Five, six years ago, Jordan was heavily influential in the CBA negotiations because he was really able to bridge the gap between player and owner because who else could do it better than Michael Jordan. So he has that in his uh, positive column, but you, you can't get past the fact that a guy with billions of dollars refused to invest much of it in his team. And, and that, I think, has been a negative for Jordan and continues to prevent the Hornets from really becoming any kind of destination. Like, yeah, players make you a destination, and if LaMelo Ball becomes a superstar, he will attract free agents to come down there and play with them. But... Players know who has great facilities. They know who has the beautiful practice facility. They know who has the great arena. They know all these things. And Charlotte has not built that kind of infrastructure in the city. And that, and after a decade or 13 years now, that falls on Michael Jordan. Yeah. I mean, there, there's some stuff, too, that just, you know, I thought it was smart of them to, obviously, in hindsight, was smart of them to decide not to, because the, the Kimball Walker thing was such a big deal of like, well, this is the biggest star you've had. Are you going to let him walk? Uh, and they made the decision to do that. Uh, and they knew. They, they knew his knee was questionable. Mm-hmm. They knew. Right. The, I think the challenge is that they just haven't drafted well enough which probably does get back to the point you were just making about how much are you investing in your front office to really find great players at that level or kind of under every rock behind every tree sort of thing um they haven't hit on enough of those uh they've made some bad really bad calls the the nick batum contract for them was brutal but also oh man um you know (laughs) when you have a good roster around guys you're asking guys to do a little bit less then, you know, if you have a bad roster, you're asking everybody to do a little bit more or a lot more. And, uh, you know, Nick Batum bounced right back right after that. He was good before that. So it, a lot of it points to what you're saying, Chris. I agree. Well, yeah. look, Rohan, um, Rohan, let me, let me just throw some, some, some <laughs> facts out there on Please. The, the resume of the Jordan-led front office. Um, just a few of them. They get a bunch of assets for Bismack Biombo. Uh, back in 2011, um, that didn't work out. They drafted Shea Gildas Alexander, wound up trading him for uh, Miles Bridges, which before Bridges had his uh, recent incident with mm-hmm. domestic violence, that wasn't didn't look that bad. But right now, mm-hmm. Shea Gildas Alexander is looking like an All NBA guard, and Bridges is not with the team. They drafted Frank Kaminsky over Miles Turner and Devin Booker, um, and a recent draft pick, James Booknight. He's athletic. That's about it at this point. So, like, yeah, would would they have drafted better 
if they had a deeper front office, uh, if they put more people around Mitch Kupchak, who, look, has a great reputation as a general manager from his time with the Lakers. But would they have done better? I don't know, but they didn't. They they didn't put these pieces around um, their top executives in the front office. And the result has been a decade or more of mostly bad decisions made when it comes to personnel. And I didn't even mention Gordon Hayward in that you know, absurd contract that got them nowhere. Yeah. To me, this discussion just comes back to what it really shows is your on-court success really does not translate to you being a good front office executive. That's what it comes down to when you have, like you said, probably most people's greatest player of all time, just unable to do anything coherent. And like you said, he's been cheap. He's also, there's times where he's been the bridge to players. There's other times where I think players have gotten into it with him when it comes to collective bargaining stuff and have been upset with where he stood on certain issues. So yeah, I, I think it'll frankly in the long run be better for his legacy that he's stepping away now instead of kind of just presiding over this for a long time. And, mm. you know, people just remembering him as a cheap owner and uh, you know, a new generation of players being like, why is this team so bad? Like if, if anything, he should have gotten off the ship earlier, you know, good for him for cashing out. But I think legacy wise, long run, this is probably the right move just to get, stop being associated with this as quickly as possible but yeah there's really just no rhyme or reason to what makes a great front office executive and i think we're seeing that with michael jordan where i think you could argue what made him great as a player is what makes him not good as an executive it's just like hey do this better i was able to do it right um we kind of saw that to an extent in the last dance as well so i'm not worried about his legacy taking a hit it is i'm more so just you know the nba it just has these franchises that feel like a black hole sometimes. You know what I mean? It's like, what a, just a waste of time Charlotte has been largely. I mean, and I say that yeah, but that, that's a, how they're run. Yeah, it's because it's yeah. of how they're run. Like yeah. Oklahoma City is not a destination, right, but the right. Thunder have been a functional franchise for you know more than a decade now because they're extremely well run because Clay Bennett went out there and hired Sam Presti and told him he could do whatever the hell he wants. And Presti has built that team into at one winner and now has it on a path to being another. Like I, I, I look, there are always going to be some guys that don't want to play in Oklahoma city or in Charlotte or right. Milwaukee. That's just going to happen. It's just the way it goes. But like when LeBron was in Cleveland, guys wanted to play with him. Like, you know, when you, you, you just go, you players want to be in winning situations as much as anything they do. And Charlotte has never shown that they can operate like a winning situation. I mean, my, frankly, Michael Jordan's tenure with the Wizards as a player was better than Michael Jordan's tenure <laughs> with the Hornets as an owner. Like it, it, was. it was. Like he has. It was. It, it just hasn't. It hasn't worked out at all. It's depressing, no. and you you were right. Just having been to Charlotte, it's um, yeah, man. I'm I'm very fascinated to see if anyone can turn it around there at this point. It can be turned around. You, you just mm-hmm. look. It, it everything can be turned. All you have to do is look at like Team X's draft history. That's what I always yeah. look at when I'm evaluating how a team got there. That's what it always boils down to. Like if you draft well, you are not going to be in this shitty situation. If you draft poorly, you are going to find yourself in this situation. It's as simple as that. And. I mentioned just some of them. Like, if they had drafted Devin Booker over Frank Kaminsky, where would they be? If they had held Oof. on to Shea Gildas Alexander, where would they be? Like, they'd also, be in a much I'm better gonna, position. 
I'm going to add this in too, just because I remember seeing the reports about it. Then it kind of went away after Woj reported it. The Miles Bridges stuff, if they bring that guy back, like. Yeah, I think they, they just, floated that out there. As they a test floated it. I, don't, I hope it was just a trial balloon, but like if they bring him back and they continue to suck, they'll deserve it. Like I, I'm not an advocate of people not getting second chances, but I, I'm telling you right now, just as we sit with the John Morant thing and we're like, what can actually be learned in a week? Essentially, th- that whole thing with the Miles Bridges thing, I hope he's gotten help more than anything. I hope that the woman that he was with has gotten help and everything that she needs first and foremost. But I don't like that. That, that was just such an ugly thing. And it was very publicized, like what was said and what allegedly happened what essentially did happen given the way he pleaded. So um, I, you know, I, I just, I would hate to see them, whether it's under Michael or anybody else, we're so desperate to win that we're going to go bring him back. Uh, I don't know what the, well, do you the think, road to. Do you think Miles Bridges belong? Like, I actually think Miles Bridges should get another opportunity at some point. Like, he will have effectively served a one-year suspension out of the NBA, not making a dollar. Whenever he comes back, the NBA is probably going to slap him with a 25-game suspension for what he pled to. So, like, I feel like a season and a half is a proportionate response to what Miles Bridges did in terms of punishment. I don't believe Miles Bridges should be exiled from the NBA forever. Okay, I, so I, then if that if that's the case, like maybe that's fair. I'm not. I'll be real with you in saying that I'm not exactly sure what his penalty should look like. I haven't really thought that far ahead. No. I know that floating it in the middle of the first season that he's out felt inappropriate to me. It um, did. Oh yeah, and and they knew that. Like believe me, when that when that was put out there, and I think you had Bridges show up at a game in Los Angeles, right? He was sitting yeah. in yep. the stands. Mm. Um, I, I think they they felt the backlash at that point. And, okay, yeah, because we and, haven't heard a thing about it, it since then, and that no, you're right, it does no. kind of feel that way. I, I I think he at some point, assuming that he, I hope he does put in some work, get some sort of counseling, um, meaningful counseling for him. Uh, to me, when I say that it, there should be real, real things, real steps taken here, I don't think that you like who who's gonna feel comfortable giving that dude like a long contract after that. So if that's no, what nobody, we're talking nobody. about, nobody. Okay, yeah. so so maybe yeah. we'll have to see what it looks like. Maybe it's Charlotte. Maybe it's not. Maybe it would make more sense for Charlotte to be the team because this was the team that kind of raised him. I don't know how that works, but I just know it left a really uh, bad taste in my mouth from from the the trial balloon aspect of it was very ugly, and and it tells you also the the direction in which the team seemed to be leaning that they even floated it in the first place. Yeah, what what Miles Bridges did was. Just- abhorrence and what he pled to was awful um i I just the question i would ask is what what is an appropriate punishment for that um and it's a fair question it's a very fair question he was in line for a max contract didn't get it he has missed this entire season he's going to miss a chunk of next season um i I look I, i feel like that's proportional i feel like that's a reasonable punishment now who will sign him I don't know. He's not going to get more than like a one-year deal at this point. It's going to be a show-me type of deal from whether it's Charlotte or somebody else. I think 
Charlotte will still retain his rights even going into next year. He didn't play, so they'll have matching rights on Bridges. <clears throat> but it, it feels like if he does come back, it will be with Charlotte on a very short-term deal. That uh, that then we'll see what happens when it comes to that. Um, fellas, good stuff. Uh, Rohan, next week you can <laughs> go back to discussing like the Jazz and <laughs> why they've been able to surge despite hey, Lowry Markin's injury. There's some big win for Will Man. Hardy against his former ball club the other night. Uh, how about the Utah Jazz? Lord. Uh, we're going to have to, if the Celtics keep skidding, we're going to have to talk about them next week, too, because that's a yeah an interesting story going into the playoffs. Uh, good stuff, guys. We will do it again next week. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.